This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Five minutes after the hour, it's Wednesday, December 1st. Good morning and welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us across America on the Relevant Radio Network and the Relevant Radio app. Great to be with you this morning. Every Wednesday, we always uh, remember that this is the day dedicated to praying to St. Joseph, especially in this year of St. Joseph, which is coming to an end next week. We start each hour in prayer, and we pray very specially on this day, giving thanks to our Lord through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of life, and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, in this year of St. Joseph, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. We always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. As we've been talking about uh, for months and talking about uh, this morning, today is a big day for our nation and for the pro-life movement. The U.S. Supreme Court is hearing oral arguments for 70 minutes this morning on Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, a legal challenge to Mississippi's law that bans abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. This is a big deal. This is historic because there's a chance that after nearly half a century, Roe v. Wade could be overturned and go back to the states. Eric Schaller, the executive director of the Pro-Life Action League, is in Washington, D.C., and he spoke to us about this case. We're working very closely with uh, Citizens for a Pro-Life Society and with a group called Created Equal out of Ohio. There are so many groups that are doing things. I mean, Students for Life of America has a bus tour that's going from, from Jackson, Mississippi, where the case started all the way to Washington, D.C., traveling through the south. Uh, Created Equal is doing some some other touring through the South. It's really been exciting to see, especially after, you know, almost two years of a kind of a quiet pro-life movement with the with the pandemic and the lockdown and all the uncertainty there. It's like the pro-life movement is just coming back to life in this very beautiful way. In this case is what we're rallying around. And I got to tell you, I've never been so excited to be a part of this historic moment. And joining us live from Washington, D.C. is Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life of America and Students for Life Action. Good morning, Kristen. Thank you so much for Good joining morning. us. Good morning. It's a historic. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for being with us. Thank you for carving out the time. I know that you're in demand and there's a lot of media requests this morning, so we really appreciate <laughs> it. Um, how did the prayer vigil go last night for Students for Life? That's right. Yes, we were out here. We camped out all night last night. Uh, Every time there's an oral argument or decision day, 
Someone has to be out here the day before reserving the rally space in front of the Supreme Court, and that is the pro-life generation. So it was a cold, cold night. Thankfully, we had four sleeping shifts. We had about 50 students rotating off and on. Uh, we had a, a, a live prayer event uh, with Senators Braun and Langford and Danes before the, before the evening kind of commenced. We had coffee. The senators were passing out donuts to everyone. Um, but we're out here because we believe this is our time, that this generation, that literally every single one of us born after 1973 could have been aborted for, you know, a price of a PlayStation. We are all the survivors of the of, of the road decision, the egregiously wrong decided road decision. We you know we are proud to say that we're the pro life generation, but we're out here. We were out here last night. Uh, we will be out here in June because we believe we were born for this. We were born ready to become the first post road generation. Uh, Kristen, this is truly a, a historic day in our country. Not only are there rallies there in front of the Supreme Court, but also across our country. It's really bringing the pro-life movement uh, together. That's absolutely right. I mean, this is an entire movement. You have to think this is nearly 50 years of work from activists of you know all corners of the United States, those who started pregnancy centers, those who began sidewalk counseling, um, those who started educational organizations, those that centralized have been on campuses. Um, this is truly a unified effort, and that's what you'll see today. Uh, for those who tune in, Students for Life uh, has a live stream starting at 9 a.m. We'll be going all morning. You can go to studentsforlife.org slash live to tune in. You will see a united pro-life movement. We are many. We have many different uh, niches and callings, but we are one, and we are one uh, in our cry to the Supreme Court today to review, return, and reverse, reverse Roe v. Wade send a decision of abortion back to the states where we can begin state-by-state state making abortion illegal and unthinkable. And I'll tell you what, John, we are ready. We have over 130,000 trained activists in all 50 states, nearly 1,300 chapters in college and high school campuses. This is what we were created to do, why we launched Students for Life 15 years ago, to be the post-Roe organization. So that when that day comes in June, when they reverse Roe versus Wade, we are ready to go. We have trained activists in the states to rush to the capitals to make abortion illegal again and to work in our streets and our communities to make abortion unthinkable, connecting women in crisis, families in crisis to the nonviolent alternatives that exist. We as a movement are ready. What's the atmosphere like there outside the Supreme Court? Can you give us a, a, a picture of what it's like? Uh, it is great. We have, you know, every active, I'm actually looking at Eric Scheiler right now, who's just, he's the clip you just played, every pro-life leader, um, I mean, there are going to be well over 50 pro-life leaders speaking today at different points in the rally, different uh, signs, you know, you know, pro-life generation signs, we have our new post-road generation signs, you know, atheists for life, Democrats for life, uh, overturn row, homemade signs. Uh, folks, you know, holding up signs saying, you know, my, my sibling was aborted. I survived abortion. Uh, my personal favorite was a sign I made for Vice President Pence. I gave to him yesterday. Uh, we made a, a, an ash heap of history showing Roe versus Wade on the top of, of, uh, of Dred Scott and Plessy versus Ferguson, all of these cases, uh, putting these cases on the ash heap of history. Um, and so there is, you know, every sign you can think of is here. Um, it is going to get louder as the day goes on. We're, we're expecting thousands 
uh, uh, folks to join us. There's, you know, a congressman right in front of me. There'll be senators next to me all day. Uh, this is truly a moment. I encourage everyone listening to tune in, watch the live streams. You can go to Students for Life Facebook page or studentsforlife.org. Watch our live stream. Watch the other live streams coming from the court. Be a part of the historic moment. And I encourage everyone to start praying now. Pray for uh, Lynn Finch, the Attorney General of Mississippi, and her team who will be arguing before the court. Pray for the justices, uh, that they might have the courage uh, to, to reverse 50 years of, of the violence of abortion. Pray for our movement, um, that we are unified and ready for this day that comes. And pray for those women who are going to be out here today yelling, cursing, uh, screaming at us, you know, um, threatening violence. Pray for them because there are, there are many, many, many here uh, who are wounded from past abortion decisions uh, and need healing. Kristen, can you give us your take on the significance uh, of this Dobbs case there that really presents a realistic opportunity sure. to overturn Roe v. Wade? That's right. This is the first case, the most significant case in 30 years. So if you all remember in Casey v. Planned Parenthood, the court set a new precedent in 1992. I was seven years old. The court set a precedent saying that they would allow, allow states to ban, limit abortion after the point of viability, which we know because the science keeps moving earlier and earlier uh, into pregnancy. Um, this is the first time in 30 years that the court has signaled that they are ready to, to review that standard that they set, possibly reverse it. And if they do, if they uphold this Mississippi law, uh, which is what this whole case is about, a law that was passed and enacted in Mississippi that was enjoined, that banned abortions at 15 weeks when children can feel excruciating pain in the womb. If the court decides to uphold that law, Roe versus Wade is dead. What uh, do you expect uh, will occur this morning from uh, these oral arguments? So the oral arguments usually should last about an hour. We've, we, we're hearing that it may go as long as two hours. Um, so, you know, we'll see. The, the Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Finch and her team will be arguing for, on behalf of the state of Mississippi, for the right of states to protect the most vulnerable citizens in the womb. Uh, the abortion industry will be making their case for why they should be allowed to, to dismember and kill children who feel pain and argue that those children are not members uh, of, our, of our society that should be protected. That's going to be the argument. Um, I can't wait to listen in uh, to uh, Justice Thomas, who's usually pretty quiet, but has been pretty vocal uh, in the past few cases. Um, I'm sure he's going to have uh, some things to say. So I'm, I'm very, very interested to see the questioning uh, that we, we hear from the justices today. I mean, we obviously know how four will come down on this decision um, because we have four ardent pro-abortion members of the court. Um, Justice Roberts is the wild card, as, as we all know. We know that this is a big deal, especially in the media, because everywhere you look, it's a headline on the, the uh, conservative, uh, the more liberal uh, sources. It seems everywhere, everybody's talking about this case. What's the media presence look like there at the Supreme Court this morning? Are there a lot of live trucks, a lot sure. of reporters? Yes. I've never seen so much media here. I was here, you know, a little after six. They're already doing interviews. Yesterday, I was standing, um, waiting to, to have my meeting with the Vice President Pence, and I had got calls from NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox News, USA Today, all in the first 30 minutes. Um, that, has, that has never happened before. The media, I was actually talking to a Washington Post reporter who, who said, you know, I, I, you know, I've been assigned to another case, another issue. 
um, but I've been told I have to cover this. And so yesterday, coming off of the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, the media was really looking into this of, oh, my gosh, this is happening. And honestly, to be honest with you, John, the cries and the uh, the begging of the abortion industry, their, their frantic emails, fundraising emails, and text messages about how Roe is going to go and how Roe is in the chopping block is actually fueling this uh, because they fear the day that we know is very near. Well, we so much uh, appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us, uh, Kristen. We uh, so much appreciate knowing how busy you are there in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, we're with the pro-life generation. We're praying for you. We're praying for the pro-life movement, and we're praying uh, for the justices especially. Uh, this is a big deal, a historic opportunity, and many prayers are needed. Yes, thank you so much. I so much appreciate it. Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life of America and Students for Life Action, live from the Supreme Court with us this morning. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Uh, Father Marcel Tyone will be with us to discuss how to continue the devotion to St. Joseph even after the year of St. Joseph is over. Stay with us. There's much more to come straight ahead as Morning Air continues. Get connected to the conversation. Call us now at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 23 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks for tuning in this morning. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Isaiah 25.9. Behold our God to whom we look to save us. This is the Lord for whom we looked. Christmas is Christ's coming in the next few weeks in a new and powerful and much needed way. Christmas is not just a remembrance. It's a present reality. Because Christmas is so great, Advent is so much needed. Let's prepare our hearts for Christ this Christmas. And we pray always with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Our number, once again, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. Now, it's hard to believe that it's already been nearly 12 months since Pope Francis opened up the year of St. Joseph, dedicated to the foster father of Jesus, which is coming to an end on December 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate conception. This commemorative year has been a time of much-needed reflection and focus on the quiet protector of the Holy Family. And now joining us with much more on the year of St. Joseph is our spiritual director today, Father Marcel Tyone, the pastor of St. Thomas More Catholic Parish in Narragansett, Rhode Island, and of course, a relevant radio regular contributor. Good morning, Father Tyone. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Uh, great to be with you uh, here at the beginning beginning of Advent. Amen. Great to be with you, too. And it is a year of St. Joseph. And I think after listening to that great report live from Washington, I couldn't think of a better segue into meditating and still thinking about St. Joseph during Advent and all that's going on in our country at the Supreme Court today. I think uh, he has a lot to offer us to get ready for Christmas, but also for what's happening down there in D.C. He's definitely the patron and the example of what to do to protect unborn life and to uh, really protect the Holy Family. So, Praise God, a, a great uh, segue, and I, I think he's he's our saint for today for sure. Thank you, Father Tyone. 
really appreciate that. And yes, many, many prayers are needed. We, we need to invoke uh, St. Joseph, invoke the Blessed Mother, Our Lady of Guadalupe, invoke the whole communion of saints because so many prayers are needed uh, here uh, so that the justices rule correctly in this uh, huge uh, case that, that is going to be going underway here this morning. Um, Father Tyone, uh, it's hard to believe that it's almost uh, over. The year of St. Joseph is coming to an end uh, on December 8th, just days away on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, This has really been a a wonderful opportunity this entire year to really meditate uh, on St. Joseph. And in fact, today in the papal audience, Ashley and Narona reminded us that the Holy Father spoke about St. Joseph uh, and how St. Joseph can uh, inspire uh, engaged couples uh, to live truly a Christian life. Well, we think about them, uh, you know, living a life of, of continence, a life of love, a life putting God at the center of their betrothal, their engagement, and even, of course, in their marriage. So uh, today, engaged couples, St. Joseph and our Blessed Mother, are a unique couple. Um, they're unique in salvation history, but also they, I think they can be an inspiration of hope. And engaged couples today face a lot of obstacles, a lot of winds in secular culture uh, to acquiesce and to, to really kind of live as a secular couple, but the Holy Father reminds them that that St. Joseph is without a doubt um, model, uh, encouragement, inspiration, also intercessor for all the engaged couples. Absolutely. In fact, this year has allowed us to reflect on the life and the many virtues, and there really are so many virtues of St. Joseph, a man that didn't speak a single word in sacred scripture, but he has so much to teach us. He faced a lot of uh, challenging times uh, filled with uh, confusion and change. Can you talk about some of the challenges that St. Joseph had to deal with? Well, we think he fell in love with the most beautiful woman in the world, right? The Immaculate Conception attracted to her for love and for for pure love, but a lot of complications, right? What happens? Of course, unknown, misunderstood that that God himself, uh, the Holy Spirit, would overshadow Our Lady. And, of course, she experiences that and has that conversation with the angel Gabriel, accepts, and then Joseph, in between that period that Mary... Uh, was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and became with child at the moment of conception till the time when Joseph, when he knew, he had, and he got his own sort of annunciation during his dream to take Mary as his wife, but he had to, he was going to divorce her quietly to try to protect her from being stoned to death. So already, even at these big moments, uh, he has to overcome a lot of fear and have a lot of trust when he can't tell what the heck's going on. And it's amazing. He's an amazing example for us. There's that. And then, of course, um, you know, trying to keep Our Lady safe, uh, the Christmas day itself, not having a place for her to lodge or have a child, so they lived very poorly. Then, of course, you know, the slaughter of the innocents after the birth, him taking her across the lines into Egypt to protect their lives uh, from, from just evil authorities, uh, all that happening, and then, of course, spending his life with with Jesus Christ, um, uh, certainly as a carpenter, but also as a spiritual foster father of prayer to God himself. It's an extraordinary existence he had, but a very difficult one. Joseph's life was very hard, and while he didn't record what he said in Scripture, we do know what he did, and also we know what he didn't do. And I think that would make a great retreat meditation for all of us this Advent. What did St. Joseph not do in light of the news and circumstances he found himself? And I think that can be an also, an, an ins, uh, if you will, a, a negative, positive inspiration for us. What did Joseph not do, and what did he do? And his, his life was very, very difficult. Um, we know we presume the tradition would, would remind us and teach us that 
that Jesus, uh, Joseph died before Jesus' crucifixion, of course he would have been there. Um, so, you know, we think of Jesus and Mary going through that as well, of, of burying Joseph before the completion of, a, you know, Jesus' total redemption for us. So, so many things about St. Joseph. And just because the official year ends, I think we know, like the year of mercy, we still need to be about mercy after the year of mercy. We still need to be about St. Joseph, who's always going to be the universal patron of the entire church uh, everywhere. So so it's a great, I'm glad you brought him up today. Again, I, I think on such a historic day, hopefully in our country, it's, it's and in Advent, uh, he's definitely uh, someone that can help us by what he did and also by, by what he didn't do to love God. There's so much that we can learn from St. Joseph. Just simply meditating on the litany, the traditional litany of St. Joseph, uh, St. Joseph, head of the Holy Family, Joseph, most ch- uh, just, chaste, prudent, valiant, obedient, faithful, uh, lover of uh, poverty. So much that we can learn from uh, St. Joseph, so many virtues to meditate on. And like you said, not just here in this year of St. Joseph that's coming to an end, but this is something that we can take with us uh, for the rest of our lives. For sure, and and again, Advent is certainly a time we look at Our, our Lady and her you know her anticipation of the first coming of Christ, um, and we we always get ready for the, the second coming of Christ. But Christ comes to us in the third coming, which is today, uh, and Joseph is certainly a part of that. So I encourage all of us to kind of th- those virtues you just listed so beautifully to take them to ourselves, and we can ask him to pray that we become more like him in those virtues. And we all need more virtue in our life. This is the living out of faith and, and the human heart being exercised uh, to imitate and be united to the Holy Family. So. Just um, again, the the year end. A lot of people are consecrating themselves to Joseph. I know this immaculate conception. If people haven't done that yet, not too late to begin that process and kind of you know again take the Saint Joseph year into the next liturgical year and next year we've begun now. But I think also something we can we can still consider doing. Father Tyone, can you talk about Saint Joseph the Carpenter? What we can learn from him uh, about sanctifying our everyday work. Good point. So that means that if we're if we're doing dishes, if we're mowing the lawn, if we're studying at school, if we're um, you know cleaning the house, whatever it is, those simple tasks we do every day, we can consecrate them to God. And and certainly our work, our labor. You're a radio show host. I'm a priest. Um, a mom, a dad, whatever whatever our work is, that's the place where Joseph the carpenter can teach us to do that. Uh, in God and to glorify God. So whatever our work is, we want to glorify God. And even if that's something uh, not directly tied to the church's ministry or the gospel, but, you know, Joseph worked every day. He was humble and being good at work, at school, showing up on time, doing our best efforts, trying to get a little better when we make a mistake or, or don't do the right thing. Uh, those are all things that Joseph the Carpenter can teach us. And, you know, remember, he, carpentry takes a long time to get something kind of finished sometimes, I'm sure. All of Joseph's products didn't go as he always thought, and the piece of wood might have been flawed or, or broke off, and he had to start over again. And I, I think also Joseph the Carpenter teaches us to not give up, not give in, and to... Uh, to work the daily parts of our life with our hands, our minds, our hearts, and to consecrate that to God and to to stay at it and the everyday ordinary things are where we become sanctified. Not so much in the big decisions of life. Sure, sometimes we can change our course, but in the end, Joseph the Carpenter can remind us that it's day-to-day life and and day-to-day fidelity 
we're, we're certainly where, where God is glorified and revealed through our, our small actions of fidelity and goodness. Father Tyone, we have a beautiful statue of St. Joseph holding the baby Jesus here in studio in our Chicago Relevant Radio studios. And it reminds me of uh, one of the titles of St. Joseph in the litany, Foster Father of the Son of God. For the dads out there, what can we learn from St. Joseph? And that's right. So uh, being a dad is difficult in times which we live, challenging, no doubt. But he's the foster father, right? So he was, he chose. Uh, he followed God's God's will and God's command, really, to adopt Jesus. And fathers out there, you know, you're you're a spiritual father, not just a, an adopted father, foster father, or, or biological father. But the most important thing is to be a spiritual father, as Saint Joseph was to Jesus. We certainly prayed together and would have you know, sing the Psalms together and, and pray them together. So pray with your children. Don't be afraid to kind of maybe step in a little bit further with that, whether it's grace, prayers at night, praying at wherever, just taking your child to confession, going to confession yourself, going to Mass, modeling of those kind of things for your sons and daughters is a great gift that honors St. Joseph. And just do something a, a little more for God uh, in the ways of uh, teaching your children how to pray and how to love the Lord, both by example but also by teaching, and I think that's that's the encouragement of that statue in your studio that I'm glad you reminded us of all to do today. And uh, Father Tyone, uh, can you give us some final thoughts here uh, in this Advent season of how we can include uh, St. Joseph as we prepare our hearts for the coming of the Messiah? I think St. Joseph, right, he, he again, he had, to, he had to be obedient in faith in times of great turmoil and just really not understanding what was happening to his to-be wife, his wife, his son. Um, and he always trusted that God was doing good. And he trusted God's plans, even when it didn't make sense. He didn't know how it was going to f- come out, figure out. And I think all of us, in times which we live today, these kind of most stressful days, we need to really be like him and, and put our focus on God's will, on God the Father, and know the salvation, the redemption of the world is happening today through in these circumstances. So, you know, take courage if you don't understand what's happening or struggle in your family or at work. Uh, take courage from Joseph. He, too, he understands uh, and prays for us. And I think we can be all in. The more we know him and he's with us, the more we can sort of uh, go with great confidence and courage and hopefulness. Advent's about hopefulness and the promises that God makes that he never, never, ever will renege on. And that's that's important for Advent. Well, Father Tyone, thanks so much for the reminder that we can go to Joseph, not just in this year of St. Joseph, but uh, all year around. Thanks so much for your insights. God bless you. Many blessings to you. Father Marcel Tyone, the pastor of St. Thomas More Catholic Parish in Narragansett, Rhode Island, and a relevant radio regular contributor. We're going to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Professor Harry Kramer is going to be with us to talk about four communication styles and how we can better connect with other people. Stay with us. Fascinating conversation straight ahead here on Morning Air. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. From Maui to Maine, you're listening to Morning Air with John Morales, Coast to Coast on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
40 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverance. Uh, thanks uh, for being with us here this morning. Our number, if you want to be part of the conversation, 888-914-9149. Now I want to talk about the importance of communication. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, author Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversation. That's why it's so important to pay attention on how we communicate with others. Joining us now for more perspective on the importance of communication is our regular contributor, Harry Kramer. Harry is a professor of management and strategy at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management and an executive partner with Madison Dearborn Partners, one of the largest private equity firms in the U.S. Good morning, Professor Harry. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you once again. Happy Advent. Happy Advent. Great to be with you, John. Professor, let's talk about uh, communication. Uh, first of all, why does uh, communication seem to work uh, so well at times and at other times just uh, it fails miserably? I think so much of it, John, depends on what your approach is and what your goal is. I mean, in my mind, if you really truly want to establish a relationship, you know, and you really want to relate to people, you have to have them really believe you care about them. And when they're talking, you're actually listening to them. Think of the conversations you've had, John, when you're talking with somebody and then you want to step in and say something and you realize the only reason they stopped talking was to take their breath before they kept talking again. They're, they're, not, they're not listening to you at all. It's all about what they want to say. And I think a really, really good person in communication realizes that literally, John, up to 90% of communication is listening. So the, so the person actually feels they're heard, and then you're establishing a relationship. That is so true. The old adage, uh, God gave us two ears and one mouth, so we should listen uh, twice as much as we speak. And yet, that's, that's a great saying, but it's so hard sometimes to put into practice. Yeah, I think what happens, John, is we're so interested. If you and I are chatting, you know, sometimes one of us is so interested in making sure that I understand your point that you're never really taking the time to listen to my point or to listen to what, what I'm trying to say. And uh, I always love to quote St. Francis, and I think of this almost every day, John. I seek to understand before I'm understood. I seek to understand before I'm understood. If I'm talking with you, I truly want to understand why you believe something, why you're telling me something. I can always decide, do I agree or disagree? But my first job, my first chore is, why, why does John believe that? Why, why does John think that? And I can learn a tremendous amount by actually listening to you so that you feel like you're being heard. Professor Harry, can you talk about nonverbal communication? It's sometimes uh, uh, what our body is reflecting is more important than what's actually coming out of our mouths. Oh, absolutely, John. Absolutely. You know, think of conversations you've had where you're starting to talk and the person is, you know, looking at their iPhone or they're looking out the window or you're talking and they're actually rolling their eyes. You get an awful lot said by, is, does that person really care about me? Are they giving me eye contact? Are they nodding? Are they demonstrating the fact that they really are taking the time to really listen to me? You're right, John. The nonverbal communication is as powerful as the verbal communication. 
Something as simple as eye contact, which I think uh, I've noticed, especially in young people, is something that I don't think is emphasized these days. You know, looking somebody in the eye when, when you're speaking. I think it was Dale Carnegie that used to uh, remind folks uh, in, uh, in some of the leadership uh, teachings that he had about the importance of making eye contact with people when you're talking to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if you're looking at me and you're focused and your eyes are on me, and you're really listening to what I'm saying, I'm engaged, I feel like I'm being heard, I feel like I'm an important person in, in, in the discussion that we're having, has an enormous impact, John, enormous. What about the, the different styles of communication? Can you give us a, a little feel for the, some of the different communication styles? Sure. And there's, there's a lot of people, John, who write up this in, in, in a lot of different ways. But, you know, sometimes you'll have somebody who is literally just, they're just listening. They're just very passive. They're just listening. They're sort of shy. They don't want to give their view. Then you've got people we run into that are unbelievably aggressive. I mean, they're, they're jumping at you. You know, they're, they're like all over you. They're not listening Type A personality, then, maybe. What, what's that? A, a type A personality. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's all about, John, I'm going to make sure you understand exactly what I want to say. And, you know, I'm not, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking very quickly. I'm not even giving you a chance to jump in because I've got the answer. And quite frankly, I really don't really care what you, what you think, what you think whatsoever. Right. Um, and then you've got people that literally, they really want to know what you think. They've got a view. They're assertive. They're going to let you know what they think. But part of their way of operating is, they really want to know what you think. And it's sort of the example I'll, I'll kind of give you, John. It's like, let's say you and I are together, and there's an issue, okay? Uh, and, and you think we ought to go east on this issue. I think we ought to go west. There's, there's three reasons why, if uh, I'm a strong communicator, an assertive person, but in a good way, um, I want to understand what you're saying for three reasons. One, I think it's the values-driven thing to do. You know, uh, when God says, hey, love your neighbors yourself, I, I show my love for you by just truly listening to you, number one. Number two, you think it's east. I think it's west. I really, truly want to know why you think it's east. In fact, even though I think it's west, John, I got my notebook out. I got my pen out. I'm writing it down. And by the way, as I'm listening to you, if it occurs to me, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think John's right. I think it is east. I'm going to be, feel very, very comfortable to say, hey, John, you know what? Pause a moment here, my friend. You know what? Forget what I said about West. I was wrong. We're going to do what you said. We're going to, we're going to go East. Why? Because if I really am a good leader, I have absolutely no need to be right. I'm incredibly focused on trying to do the right thing. And then the third thing, John, is you think it's East. I think it's West. I listen carefully. I seek to understand. And now I've thoroughly understood you for 20 minutes, taken a bunch of notes, I'm actually convinced now that East is not the right answer. But because I took 20 minutes to listen to you, thoroughly listen to you, you know you feel like you're understood. Now, when I start to explain why I think it's West, you may actually listen to me because I took the time to listen to you, and now maybe I can convince you the answer's West. You've got a much better chance of convincing somebody of something if you've demonstrated that you care about them and you're listening to what they think. Pretty simple stuff, John, but you know, I always quote Mark Twain that, Everything is common sense. The problem, the problem is that common sense is not common. 
Great quote. Great quote. Uh, we're joined this morning by uh, Professor Harry Kramer, Professor of Management and Strategy at Kellogg School of Management. We're talking about different styles of communication. I'd like to bring our listeners into the conversation. Uh, what type of communicator are you? If you have a, an opinion, if, if you think uh, that you are one of the different types that we've been uh, talking about here this morning, give us a call. Or perhaps you might have a, a comment or a, a question for Professor Harry Kramer. Uh, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. You know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, uh, in this divided nation that we're in on many different issues, uh, these principles really can be put into practice when talking about different issues, when talking uh, uh, about COVID, about vaccines, or even talking about the issue of life uh, that is front and center today at the Supreme Court. It's so important to listen to the other side so you can have uh, true, heartfelt uh, conversations and communication. John, you're so right. You are so right. This is probably one of the major topics I talk about in all of my classes at Northwestern. I don't think anything in the, the world we're living in now, John, literally could be more important than this because what's basically happened, and I don't even know how long it took us, John, but we've gotten to the point now we're on almost every topic you can think of, immigration, gun control, you, you name it. We've gotten to the point now where nobody listens to one another. They literally have their view, and they have absolutely no understanding of perspectives other than their own. And part of that is everybody has their own, you know, either right-wing or left-wing television stations, social media, that, you know, they call it now the echo chamber. Well, think about it, John. If the only thing I hear is consistent with my view, and that's all I listen to. When I meet you and you've got a different view, I have absolutely no understanding of what you're talking about. In fact, what I've been doing lately, John, because anytime I'm serious, you know, I also try to have a sense of humor with, with the students. I don't know if you thought about this, John, but think about all the times you're having a discussion with somebody, and then they say, well, you know, uh, John, I, I don't understand where you're coming from. I don't understand where you're coming from. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, John, but when people say, I don't understand where they're coming from, it's not like they want to understand. They're, they're just letting you know that they disagree with you. So lately what I've been doing, John, feel free to try this trick. So now, now when I said somebody says to me, well, Harry, I don't understand where you're coming from, I literally pause and I'll say, John, would you like to understand? Because if you'd like to understand, John, I'm happy to explain it to you. Now, now. I don't expect you necessarily to agree with me, and if you disagree, you know, that's okay, but I, I feel like when somebody says, I don't understand, in a way, I actually think that's ignorant. If you take the time you can understand, and then maybe we can figure out a way to do it. But John, we, we're in a bad place right now. Um, I have actually seen, I'm sure you have, I mean, as recently as you name it, five, six years ago, John, you could have a view on something, and I have a view, and it's different. All right. Oh, I still love you. I respect you. You just have a different view. And very quickly, John, we've gone from, from thank you, I appreciate your comment, we disagree, to I dislike you, I really dislike you, I actually hate you, and in fact, I've got to stop you. I can't have you walking around believing something different than I believe. I mean, we've, we've really gotten to a really bad place here, John. And part of it is because very few people literally take the time to understand multiple perspectives. 
They, they kind of, my grandfather used to say, you know, Harry, life is much simpler when you only understand your side of the story. Okay, yeah, it's simpler, but the communication dies, and everybody ends up in their corner, and, and nothing gets done. Absolutely. I can't remember who it was that said once that the most expensive thing you can have is a closed mind. And so if your mind is already made up and you're not open uh, to new information to help you understand the other person, then it's going to be very tough to communicate. Uh, Valerie is joining us uh, from the Windy City from Chicago. Uh, Valerie, uh, good morning. Welcome to Morning Air. You're on with Professor Harry Kramer. Uh, Thank you. My question is I ask opinions a lot. Um, but I'm not sure if I'm giving the right feedback because I will say, because after I make a decision, then someone might say, well, why do you ask my opinion if you were just going to do what you wanted to anyway? Valerie, that is a that is a great question that comes up at the graduate school all, all the time. It's a perfect question. So here's here's one way of handling that one. If, if you're with a group of people, Valerie, for you to say, hey, um, I really want to know what everybody thinks. I really want to listen. I'm going to take notes, but by the way, after I've listened to everything, you know, in this particular case, if I'm the person who needs to make the decision, I'll make the decision. I'll take your comments into account, but, but I may end up deciding to do something different. And the fact that I've decided to do something different doesn't mean I didn't listen, doesn't mean that I didn't understand, but I decided to make a different decision. And I find, Valerie, if you'd mentioned that up front, before the process starts, you're much better off. If you wait till the end, like you said, then it's like, wait a minute. Well, why, why, did, why did they ask my opinion? Right? You, you need to expl- you need you need to let people know, Valerie, that by asking your opinion doesn't necessarily mean you're going to agree or going to do it, but you value their opinion. You care about that person enough that you're going to take the time to truly be present and listen to them. Thanks, Valerie. I hope that helps. Uh, Allison is joining us from uh, League City, Texas. Good morning, Allison. Good morning, John, and good morning, Professor Kramer. Um, my question uh, for Professor Kramer is, would it behoove those who are in the conversation to know not just oneself type of communication, but if they, for example, um, the example that you used this morning, Professor, the coworker or the um, supervisor and the employee, um, to know the other's type of communication. So for the example that you used, you yourself, you used two different types of communication. I noticed you said you pulled out a pen and paper as you were listening to John. And so there were two types of communication because I've always told my daughters, you know, there's no reason why you can't share anything with me. Nowadays, we have so many types of communication, whether it's talking, whether it's writing me a letter, um, sending me a text, or sending me an email. Like, we have so many types of communication that there shouldn't be any cracks or anything in our communication nowadays. But with my daughter, my oldest, she's a very different type of communicator than my other two and myself. I always find myself in a break of communication with her because I I don't step back and remember, wait a second, Allison, your oldest is a completely different type of communicator, so you need to step back, take a deep breath, and remember that Belle 
communicates totally different than the other two in yourself. So just take a deep breath and kind of just like revamp or, or like re-brainstorm and go back to her type of communication so that way it's a little bit more effective when communicating thoughts and things like that. Thanks, Allison. We have, we have about a minute, Professor. Yeah. Well, real quickly, I think you're raising a tremendously important point, and that is every person you meet with, every person you talk with, if you can relate to that person, are they, are they more of a verbal person? Are they the person who likes to write it down? Are they the person that you want to sit next to them at a desk? Is it better to take a walk with them? You know, just take a walk around the block. Uh, really understanding whether they want to write something down, whether it's verbal, whether it's an email that's better, whether it's face-to-face rather than a phone call. Being able to truly relate and understand what is the best way to reach that person is an enormous part of, of being an efficient communicator. Thanks, Allison. We're going to have to leave it right there. Uh, Professor, uh, thank you so much uh, for, for being with us, uh, as always. A, a very interesting topic. You take good care, John. God bless and have a great advent to everybody. Thanks so much. Uh, Professor Harry Kramer, Professor of Management and Strategy at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called A Lesson from My Father. We come by business naturally in our family. Each of the seven children in our family worked in our father's store, the our own hardware furniture store in Mott, North Dakota, a small town on the prairie. We started working by doing odd jobs like dusting, arranging shelves and wrapping, and later graduated to serving customers. As we worked and watched, we learned that work was about more than survival and making a sale. One lesson stands out in my mind. Shortly before Christmas, I was in the eighth grade and was working evenings, straightening the toy section. A little boy, five or six, came in. He was wearing a brown, tattered coat with dirty, worn cuffs. His hair was straggly except for a cowlick that stood straight up from the crown of his head. His shoes were scuffed and one shoelace was torn. The little boy looked poor to me, too poor to afford to buy anything. He looked around the toy section, picked up this item and that, then carefully put them back in their place. Dad came down the stairs and walked over to the boy. His steel blue eyes smiled, the dimple in his cheek stood out as he asked the boy what he could do for him. The boy said he was looking for a Christmas present to buy his brother. I was impressed that Dad treated him with the same respect as any adult. Dad told him to take his time and look around. He did. After about 20 minutes, the little boy carefully picked up a toy plane, walked up to my dad and said, How much for this, mister? How much you got, Dad asked. The little boy held out his hand and opened it. His hand was creased with wet lines of dirt from clutching his money. In his hand lay two dimes, a nickel, and two pennies, 27 cents. The price of the toy plane he picked out was $3.98. That'll just about do it, Dad said as he closed the sale. Dad's reply still rings in my ears. I thought about what I'd seen as I wrapped the presents. When the little boy walked out of the store, I didn't notice the dirty, worn coat, the straggly hair, or the single torn shoelace. What I saw was a radiant child, a treasure. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Uh, Let's continue to pray for the Dobbs case. Let's pray for life. 
Pray for hearts to change. Pray for unborn children and their mothers. Let's pray for the judges of the Supreme Court. Let's pray for our country. America, choose life. Don't forget to join Father Rocky for the Family Rosary Across America with all your prayers and petitions, 7 p.m. Central tonight and every single night of the week. That'll do it for this edition of Morning Air. For Glenn Leverance, for producers Gabby Burke, Mariano Gomez, and Sarah Tafoya, our entire Morning Air team, I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God love you. We'll see you tomorrow. The Patrick Madrid Show is next. Next.